exciting episode of First Strike. But before we start the show, we're going to plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. This week's special, weekly special, is to, to help celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Uh, this upcoming Sunday is a sale on a bunch of select green cards and uh, a lot of all versions of Goyfs are on discount. So if you've been waiting to get a Goyf, this is the best time. Go to FaceToFaceGames.com right now. Wants to talk about what the boys here got Annie and Elliot in the chat. So, so let's just jump straight to it. We're going to have Medina on later just to get his thoughts on the upcoming sets, War of the Spark, and maybe some Modern Horizons. Going to try to minimize the finance, but uh, also enough to get the people who are into this type of talk, uh, some of our, our First Strike Nation people that, that enjoy that stuff, uh, for them to chew on. Uh, but let's jump to the Open Plus. Uh, this upcoming weekend, there's actually, I got to plug this, the St. John's Open this Saturday. So if you're from Newfoundland, definitely go check it out. But this past weekend, we had two Open Pluses, which is our biggest tournaments of the tournament series. It's games, games tournament series. One Red Deer, one was in Toronto. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Andy's brain here because Andy has been touting the is it Phoenix deck? And I even saw Shaheen Surani, friend of the show, on his latest article on SCG, basically say that it's the best deck. And it ended up taking down the Toronto Open Plus uh, by, by a man named John Robbins. Um, and uh, he's, he's part of a team that is making some waves. I think I believe it's called the Chilled Guild. The Chilled in, Guild. Yeah. In, in Hamilton. You're familiar with the Chilled Guild. Everyone knows the Chilled Guild. <laughs> it, I don't know, Andy, it reminds me of when I was trying to, like, give everyone a Man of the Prize shirt, and it was very noticeable. They are probably the closest thing since, uh, in terms of just me visually noticing on a constant basis, not just at events, but on social media. They're, they're definitely doing that push. And uh, he took it down with Is It Phoenix, your deck of choice. Uh, there was another Is It Phoenix in the top eight. And I'm looking at his list, and I wonder if you, uh, your version, and what you think about his particular version, like he plays a snap, two copies of Snapcaster Mage in the main, and he says in my interview with him on, on the KYT show, my other podcast, he plays two life goes on instead of the Dragon Claw, uh, uh, the Dragon Claws, right? Uh, for for the the Burr matchup. So give me your take. Are, are you playing the Snapcasters uh, Casters main? No, I'm still playing a little Terramander. But I think the Snapcasters are defensible. I think they're pretty good. They're both, like, sort of weak to the graveyard. But uh, Snapcaster is better in the late game, and Terramander, sometimes it's not even better. Terramander does a really good job against a lot of creature decks at just being a big guy. And uh, Snapcaster, the utility you get on a 2-1 is not great. But uh, sometimes the the 2-1 matters a lot, especially when you're trying to burn people out. The sideboard of life goes on the shock plus the life goes on ends up being like sort of a, a relative wash with how mopey dragon's claws is. They're both sort of mopey at what they do, but life goes on is higher upside. You could draw it later and it'd be better. Dragon's claw kind of requires you to draw it on turn two. So there is the upside to life goes on there. And also like Snapcaster is also pretty good against burn. So I think his deck is certainly going to be better against burn, which is like what sort of what the life goes on is for. So as far as that goes, uh, the life goes on package wins. But I still think uh, I still think the flex slot is sort of up in the air. They're all sort of in the 
middling power level. None of them are great. Some of them are okay. Some are better late in different matchups. So I think just depending on what you expect to see is what you should decide for which one to play. They're both good. There's just a, a ton of one-ofs in the main. I guess with Snapcaster, it's like extra copies. I'm really wondering, like, how do you even decide to tune it with all these, like, one-ofs that are clearly, I, I guess, flex slots. Like, how many? Is it Charms? Um, this guy has a, one copy of Beacon Bolt in, in the board, one copy of Dispel, one cer- Ceremonious Rejection. It's like, whoa, how, how do you even, like, put the Perfect 75 together if you're going to, like, Magic Fest Calgary? The thing is, when you get to look at, like, a third of your deck every game, like, on average, you're going to see a lot of these one-ups a lot more. And especially when they're, like, super tempo plays or, like, super powerful in matchups and, like, Ceremonious Rejection's a sick tempo play. Uh, Beacon Bowl is insane when it's good. So, like, those are the kind of cards that you want to make sure you can try to find so at least you have more of a chance to find it. And that's what makes the Izzy Phoenix deck so good is that even if it doesn't have a great matchup, it has just, like, almost no fail rate. It does what it does all the time. And uh, being able to see so many cards makes your sideboard matter a lot more. Sideboards matter a lot in modern. Makes this deck just absolutely a killer in modern. And I think uh, the one of it's just always been kind of that way because you see so much of your deck. I think when I picked your brain about the deck at Magic Fest Toronto, you talked about how the burn deck might be closer than people think. So it is like having this Snapcaster version and life goes on that, that are somewhat upgrades for that matchup. I guess it does matter. I'm not even sure it does. I'll be frank. Okay. Like, uh, so here's the thing is like a lot of people who are very smart people and play a lot of burn on Twitter, like uh, Patrick Sullivan is the prime example of someone who I would consider an expert on the archetype says that he doesn't even really like his matchup. And it comes down to like, yes, he has a good matchup against Phoenix, but his deck has a fail rate. Phoenix does not have a fail rate. So once again, it, it's hard to really like, like uh, say how good a matchup is when one deck will fail 10%, 15% of the time or virtually fail, like not have a good enough draw even against the deck. And the other deck fails like 5% of the time, 2.5% of the time. So it, it's sort of how Phoenix turns its bad matchups into good is that it just does the same thing every time and it does it almost every time. And uh, with a deck like Burn, sometimes it can draw cards in the wrong order and lose. And Phoenix has really fast draws that can take advantage of Burn. Thing in the ice is a hell of a card. Sometimes it can just put two Arc Light Phoenixes into play on turn two, and that's a hell of a problem for Burn. So, it's so like I've my matchup against Burn, I've I've beaten it way more than I've lost to it, and not, a lot of the time it had nothing to do with Dragon's Claw at all. It's just I won the games. So maybe it doesn't even matter. Some people don't even play either Life Goes On or Dragon's Claw. Yeah, well, I was wondering if if that's a step you take. That sounds reasonable to me. Um, it sounds reasonable, but you'd have to like mitigate it with like playing more spell pierce or something. But then at that point, you don't want the third and fourth spell pierce against other decks, so you might as well just dedicate some real cards against Burn. <laughs> right. Uh, there were uh, John mentioned that there was Amulet Titan in the room. Not surprising, being at Toronto and Edgar's influence. None of it made top eight. Three copies of Grix's Death Shadow ended up making top eight. So doesn't really change my view of the format from Magic Fest Toronto when, when Grixis Death Shadow took it down. Seems like that deck is also uh, a great choice moving forward for, for those of you who have been playing Death Shadow forever. Um, going to the red, your open plus, 
The other deck that made the finals of Magic Fest Toronto was were uh, the War Prison deck, and that took down the Red Deer Open Plus uh, by Truman Yi. Uh, we see a Titan Shift deck, Bricks of Stuff Shadow, Hardened Scales, Boros Burn, Turbo Vizier Combo, Amulet Titan again, uh, Soltai Reclamation by Robert Smith. So a bunch of different decks made that top eight. Um, and it is interesting to see uh, Word Prison picking some steam now that uh, people are even writing a lot of articles on it. Uh, on SCG, we have Ari Lax, the essential Word Prison primer, Dominic Harvey, the, the leading SCG uh, point getter right now, wrote Word Prison is Modern's newest torture device. So lots of hype back to. Uh, behind the word prison deck and uh i think we talked about how it it, it likes it's is it phoenix matchup right Andy? yeah it's it smushes phoenix and i assume that's why it's so uh so popular it's because it has a good matchup against the best deck and uh with i mean some it's not so it's like titan shift and okay so they're they're it's not the same deck it's titan shift and an amulet Titan deck. Um, that still makes me think that Amulet Titans is among the uh, up there, as Edgar would say. Um, it's seeing it's still being played everywhere, um, especially in Toronto, and seeing some results here at the Red Deer Open Plus. Uh, Elliot, do you have any thoughts on on the format overall? Yeah, I, I, specifically touching on uh, Amulet, like you just said, I think that. Um, it's one of those decks that uh, you can't really track its success from looking at its top 32s and top 16s and stuff like that, or even how many copies it puts in the top eight, just because at any given tournament, there's going to be so few people playing it. Um, it's really a deck that rewards lots of reps, uh, lots of experience with the deck, um, and you know, tuning your sideboard and stuff because you have access to Summoner's Pact and Tillary West to tutor for cards. So you know, you know, recently we've seen people playing white, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of your matches are going to be decided by things like how many engineered explosives, how whether you're playing Thrag Tusk, Bayloth, those kind of cards. Um, so, you know, when you have a tournament like the Modern Open, that was the Modern Open Plus that was in Toronto, and you have three copies of Death Shadow in the top eight, two copies of Phoenix, I think it's very likely that, you know, something like 10% of the people in the tournament were playing is a Phoenix, and another eight, you know, five, eight, ten percent playing Death Shadow. So the fact that they put a lot of copies in the top eight is, you know, I don't want to say expected. Uh, at the top eight of any given tournament is a little bit random. You know, it comes down to one mat or two matches going a different way. All of a sudden, we have a different picture of the top eight. But I wouldn't expect more than, you know, four or five copies of Amulet in an event that size. Uh, so the fact that none in the top eight, to me, doesn't mean that the deck's doing poorly. Um, that was something I think Ed, Edgar got into that a little bit on Twitter. People were talking about it, how it didn't top 32 at the, the last modern Grand Prix. Um, and you know, when there's only a handful of people that are very skilled at the deck, you can't win every event. So, um, definitely if Edgar's there, I'd probably have a favorite to top in an event, but I don't know that you put it in the, the hands of, of a random person. It's not the same as giving a random person to Phoenix. Um, with respect to the War Prison deck, I think, you know, that's definitely up there as a contender for best deck in modern. It's another one of the decks that I think is a little bit underrepresented, not 
just in terms of how difficult it is to play, but um, you know, prison strategy. I think there's always a lot of late adopters to them. Uh, it had also won the Modern Challenge this weekend. Susurus MTG is the one who actually created the deck. He played it in the Modern Challenge, got first. Was actually playing. I think the card's Darksteel Forge, it's like a nine mana artifact that artifacts you control get indestructible. So he. He's even discovered some sort of technology for what we alluded to a couple episodes ago about is it Phoenix adopting Shatterstorm? Um, so, you know, anytime you have a were, were or Court of Calling, Summoner's Pact, like I said, those type of effects, you just have a whole uh, gamut of possibilities of cards you can play uh, that do all sorts of different effects to help the matchups that you need them in. So, you know, that one's obviously very clunky, very expensive, but good find by him, and obviously it served him well to come first in the tournament. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, modern's modern, so really any deck can win a tournament. Really any deck can especially come in the top 8 or top 16 of a tournament, so uh, probably if you're if you're looking to be playing in the modern Grand Prix this weekend or, or in the future, again, stick with what you know, but if you're brand new to the format, I would suggest Amulet, is it, or the prison deck, or Death Shadow? Right. Any any final thoughts on the format, Andy? Because you you love Phoenix. Don't ban looting, please. <laughs> no, I think I think is it Phoenix is the best deck, and maybe it will correct itself. Because like, whenever I think of like a deck being the best deck, I try to think back to when people thought Death Shadow would get banned. I remember Elliot telling me that he's positive that Street Wraith is going to get banned. And at the time, not that far-fetched of a thing. It was extremely dominant. So I try to think back to that and hope that the format can self-correct itself to being a different stink pile. But uh, <laughs> one where fair decks can play. All right. Let's, let's move on to the, uh, I guess, the consensus math stats guru of the MTG community. Or at least someone that's like willing to write the scripts and crunch the numbers in the lab. Frank Hardiston posted uh, the London Mulligan Rule mathematically benefits strategies that rely on specific cards. And uh, very in-depth and long article. Obviously, not going to go through most of it. Some of its conclusions are that uh, you know he did an experiment of how often will you guarantee a two-card combo, and you were. Um, so I'm just going to read quickly some, some different parts. So under the London rule, you'll be able to sculpt a perfect opening hand, i.e. a hand, with one of each combo piece and at least two lands, substantially more often, and you end up with larger hands on average. If you mulligan aggressively, you're 70.46% to end up with such a perfect opening hand. Given that this number does not even consider future draw steps or card selection spells, combo decks can be expected to carry out their plans quite reliably in London. And... Then he, he talks about, uh, like, tackles the question of, well, can you cut a land from your deck? And uh, basically, you're supposed to play more lands, even though that's counterintuitive, because I imagine, because of the new Mulligan rule, you're just going to have more keepable hands, and then you can just ship uh, the extra lands uh, to the bottom uh, if, if you do Mulligan. And um, another stat that he, he says, like, Given this deck and mulligan strategy, the number of non-games was roughly 1 in 19 under the Vancouver mulligan, but will be roughly 1 in 190 under the London mulligan rule. That's a major improvement. So the amount of non-games is uh, 
going to substantially decrease. So there's not um, potentially a game five. It's going to be very unlikely for a game five in the finals of a mythic championship to just come to like a multi-five, multi-four die um, with, with not much action. And, uh, but he is, he is fearful. Um, Several years ago, the London, uh, his conclusion was several years ago, the London Mulligan rule was dismissed because combo decks got a huge advantage and encouraged big changes in deck building. My article unsurprisingly confirms this, but its main contribution is to show concrete numbers and examples. I use some simplified models that I can prove over the next few weeks, but I believe these first steps are already insightful. My takeaway is that for decks that rely on specific cards, the differences between the Vancouver rule and the London Mulligan rule seem worryingly large. Uh, your thoughts on, on all of this stuff, Elliot? <laughs> uh, so I'll first say that I I saw the link to the article on Reddit, and the title is "It Benefits Strategies That Rely on Specific Cards." And I thought, what kind of idiot would write an article like this? That's so painfully obvious. And then I clicked the link, and it's Frank Carson. I thought, I'm in for a good one. Um, so obviously, there's a lot of great insight in the article. Uh, it's, I would definitely recommend reading it if you're, if you're a math guy, if you're a numbers guy, or uh, if you don't want to read it, just at least scroll through and check the percentages because it's definitely helpful. Um, he goes over the numbers for things like ley lines and stuff, which uh, definitely something to have in your back pocket if you're going to be playing ley lines. Um, but you know, my sort of my highlights from when I read the article was I was shocked. He's, he admitted his model wasn't perfect for the Tron deck, but I was shocked by how little, uh, how low the percentage of having a turn three Karn was in his, uh, it was Karn or Wormcoil engine he had uh, on turn three with the new Mulligan rule. It, it works out to something like 40%, which again, not perfect, so it should be higher in practice. Um, but that's sort of shockingly low with the new Mulligan rule. Tron was a front runner for me in terms of decks I thought improved a lot, so that one was shocking. Um, I definitely think that uh, the Mulligan rule is going to be really interesting. I think we're going to see a lot of decks that previously were sort of on the precipice of modern, like Tier 2, Tier 2.5, suddenly get a lot better because of it. I remember a Reed Duke article um, I think it was when Baral was printed and it was sort of one of his general rules for, for brewing and deck building is that whenever you have eight of an effect, that's when you should start paying attention. Because, you know, immediately we saw the Storm deck at the get-go playing four Barals, four Goblin Electromancers. You had eight of the cost reducer. Your deck became a lot more consistent. So now I think with the London Mulligan rule, it sort of has that same effect in terms of if you have one or two specific cards, you know, you've, I think the math ends up being like double for for some of these. Like the two card combo, I think it was twenty percent in the current Mulligan strategy, Mulligan rules, and up to like forty to forty five with the new with the new rule. So it's it's not. I don't want to be jumping the gun and say worrisome. Obviously, uh, there's a lessened effect for the hate cards, but an effect nonetheless where people will be drawing ley lines, like I mentioned, drawing rest in peace. So. I don't want to say I'm scared for the future of modern because of this. Um, but, you know, decks like Boggles, where you only have eight Boggles before, but now you're almost guaranteed to have one in an enchantment. Boggles, I think, I don't want to say very happily will mulligan to four, but a four-card hand of two two lands of Boggle and an enchantment, or, 
you know, two enchantments boggle land, that's very scary for a lot of modern decks. So um a lot of these out outside uh decks in modern I think improve a ton. And I think that's what if you're if you're cute for London, if you're just looking to have some fun testing out the new Mulligan rule, it's probably a good place to start. Ad nauseum, boggles, those sorts of decks. Hey, that's a good point. I, I used to play boggles a long time ago. I always get crap for it because uh, I even wrote articles on it. Um, but you're right uh, because a lot of times you just don't play that many hexproof guys because they're just like you just want one. So man, I didn't think about that as as being uh, a deck that would benefit from this. Um, any 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 takeaways from you? But I mean, this is what we all thought was sort of without without getting into the nitty gritty math. But uh, it's good to see that someone who did all the math is is thinks this is very worrisome. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not that worried, but that is sort of my nature to not be that worried. But um, I just hope that things will self correct itself. Like the only like scariest the scariest thing for me for modern is that dredge will get better it was already like um one of the best decks for sure certainly tier one and it gets better because it doesn't really need a lot of cards for the most part it just kind of needs faithless looting like two lands and a dredger and then that's all it needs so that's kind of really good for them so that's the only deck that sort of worries me. And like maybe the pickup in Graveyard Hate will be able to keep Phoenix in check so they don't ban it. And maybe be able to keep Dredge in check. Like Black Leyline gets a lot better. And that's like for for Phoenix, it's like you can't get rid of it. If there's a Black Leyline in play, it's in play the whole game. So like that's a pretty uh, pretty big benefit for Black Leyline. So hopefully things correct itself because there's a few decks that do get better, but only Dredge is like the one that's tier one that gets better. The second closest, I think, is Tron at tier not quite one. That'll get quite a bit better, too. Oh, yeah. Elio, what, what do you think? What are the top decks that you mentioned, in your opinion, something like Boggles or, or was it Ad Nauseum? Is that what you said? Yeah, I said Boggles and Ad Nauseum. Um, those were, I, I was trying to, you know, pick out the, the ones maybe people weren't thinking of. Uh, Tron for sure gets better. I mentioned the math was a little less than I thought it would be, but it still definitely improves. Um, I think Thoughtseize decks are not going to be improving very much, so if you're a Tarmogoyf person, I'm sorry. Uh, but <laughs> you probably shouldn't have been in the first place, so you had it coming. Um, you know, it, just like any combo deck, the the Living End deck with uh, Electro Dominance, you could even play Restore Balance. You know, you mulligan to four or whatever and just turn one restore balance your opponent with a Simeon Spirit Guide and just their whole hand's gone. Wait, wow, that, that's kind of sick. <laughs> I don't know, just like, you know, the Frank Carson posted the math for having a two-card combo, so if, if your two-card combo is Electrodominance or uh, As Foretold as one piece, so you have eight copies, and then your other half is Restore Balance or Living End as the other eight copies, you know, y- you can pretty much always find them at a reasonable number of cards, probably like four or five. You know, four's not that great, obviously, but um, five-card hand, perfectly reasonable to win a game with, and when you're going to be finding both pieces pretty consistently, that's a deck that could be pretty scary. Uh, and even if you're not all in with Restore Balance, it's kind of a, a cheeky way to go about it, but just even the Living and Restore, um, Living and Electro Dominance deck, that's one that's going to improve a ton. So, wow. 
Second, it might actually be as crazy as the uh, first Pro Tour, uh, Modern Pro Tour. Now we got, we'll ask, we'll finish this topic with uh, a master of degeneracy and money. How's it going? <laughs> I always have to do that. What, what is that? A master of degeneracy and money. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I want to be known like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, new Mulligan rule? I, I don't think we can, like, I don't think worried is the word, right? Like, am I worried? Like, I mean, I'm worried, like, like when it's raining out and I'm driving, I might wreck the car or something. Like, that worries me. Like, a mulligan rule doesn't worry me, you know? It's like, it'll be fine, and if it's not fine, they'll change it, right? So uh, I, I think that EDH, EDH players understand this because, like, we used to experiment with this rule, similar rule, right? It's like, can we do partial Paris, which is, like, similar to this rule where you draw seven and then you throw back the ones you don't want. You keep the ones you do want. And um, everybody knows at the EDH table, if you do that, like, you're, if you have a degenerate deck, it's, like, not good for them, you know? And so I know it's not the same rule, but it's similar. And I think Magic players have that knowledge i'm glad someone did the math but like you know like you guys just all said right now you know those people the degenerate decks are going to uh, benefit a little bit from that but also you know you can benefit from getting your hate cards too because there are so many hate cards that are like shut down linear strategies so your mulligan is stronger against them so like yeah maybe you're going to mulligan to rest in peace or maybe you're going to mulligan to you know um surgical extraction or something that's going to hose them or you know whatever. Uh, you know, the other one that's like rest in peace, but shuts off artifacts. Um, I don't know. They go, they go in pairs, you know, everyone always runs like two of those and two of the other one. Uh, Stony silence. That's the one. So yeah, that's what I think. I, I don't really, I, you guys are the pros, man. You know, you guys are the pros. I'm, I'm just like a master of money and degeneracy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, can't, well, can't wait to see what happens. Uh, our guy, uh, Derek Pite is, is, Currently, this way's gender testing for the Mythic Championship. Um, so let's move on to, to, to another topic that I, I wanted to uh, pick your brain on, uh, John, and the rest of the guys for sure, um, because you've been in and out with streaming and then helping Jesse with his stream and stuff like that. And uh, that's the subject of, of co-streaming. Uh, so I'm just going to quickly read off from Wasi. Uh, we're trying something new with the Mythic Invitational on Twitch. Streamers will be able to co-stream the official Mythic Invitational feed on their own Twitch channel between March 28th and 31st. Following Twitch's content sharing guidelines, you can co-stream the PAX East Mythic Invitational from twitch.tv slash magic using OBS or X Split. This allows anyone on Twitch to be able to cover the event in their voice and with their community. To be clear, co-streamed content is not endorsed by Wizards, and we expect anyone who participates in co-streaming to follow Wizards fan content policy. If all goes well with this test, we hope to do this at future competitive events. Your first reaction on this, Ajahn? I think it's super smart. Uh, it's super smart on Wizards' part uh, because what they do is they tap into all of the tribes uh, to get maximum exposure for their event through Twitch, right? They're trying to really push the Twitch envelope or envelope. I don't know how to say that. But they're really trying to gain a presence in Twitch. And doing that allows you to tap into all of those, um, all of those little tribes, you know. And I think it's good for content creators, right? Because it gives them something uh, to kind of bounce off of. Now, some content creators they they have trouble making solo content, which is like some content creators are really good at like speaking or orating 
and they can make a solo content where they could just podcast alone and you just listen to them, you know, or they can like do a stream alone and they're walk they're walking through their plays in like an entertaining way and you listen to them. But other people, they benefit more from having like a co um, like a, like a, um, what do you co-host or having something to bounce off of something that, cause otherwise sometimes it gets awkward, right. For these people they're they want to say something, they can't like spark it in their mind and they're just stuck and they're paralyzed, but now they're watching content and they're able to, to make commentary and, uh, you know, cue people in and stuff. And that gives kind of like a backdrop and helps them to, I guess, find their voice a little bit. So it's good from like an artistic perspective. It's good from a strategic perspective. It's good for streamers, all sizes, small, big, whatever, because you get to bring your unique view to the content, right? And, uh, and it also is a way for wizards to kind of weed out some of these uh, content creators that they feel like are not going to um, <laughs> represent their, their brand well. I mean, let's be honest, you know, uh, when you start talking about the whole Jeff Hoagland thing, right? You know, the, the guy is continually shooting himself in the foot. You know, I have nothing against Jeff Hoagland or anything like that. I, I wish prosperous things on everyone who tries to do things. You know, I want them all to win. But like, if you shoot yourself in the foot over and over again, then, you know, Wizards is making it clear, look, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to endorse you. You're not going to be part of this uh, content group if that's what you're going to do. And I'm not trying to bring up drama here, but I'm just saying, like, this is a good example. See how they said, look, we don't endorse these streams. And like, you still have to use this, this uh, fan art policy, right? So like, if they're watching streams and some people are not representing their brand in the way they want them to represent, then they could just put them on that super secret list where it's like, nope, right under Jeff Hoagland's name, you know, you're not getting, you're not getting there. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to, whatever, you know, so it's, it's helpful in that way. And I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm, this is serious stuff, man. You know, this is really happening, I think. And, uh, you know, is it fun? Is it really funny? Or do you think, do you think it doesn't happen or? No, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I find everything funny. You know me, and uh, could could help myself. <laughs> are, you, are you nervous because I'm talking about wizards in a way that could that could blacklist you? I've been I've been doing this for a long time. Um, Andy, <laughs> I was gonna say, I guess we're not getting on Jeff Hoagland's stream anytime soon. <laughs> Yeah, we, oh, oh, let's, well. uh, let's get him on the show next week. He can defend himself. <laughs> good, goodbye, Hooglandia. Uh, we we didn't make it. Sorry, uh, the promised land is out of reach. <laughs> I, I think it's like you know, uh, he can't he can't be mad about that, right? He really he did it. He shot himself in the foot. Like they told him too. They were like, "Look, you're a liability because you say these things." And then he's like, "I'm going to say more things, dude." Like. Don't do that. Like, rewind, you know? Come on, for your own sake, man. You know, Jeff, if you're listening, for your own sake, man, rewind. Don't do it. Uh, John, would you be, I mean, would you be interested in, in doing, uh, with, with co-streaming? Would this something, will we see you potentially experiment with this? I think, like, if I wanted to be a content creator, uh, like a streamer, I would definitely, I'd be all over that. Like if you're out there and you want to be a streamer, this is a great way to be noticed by Wizards of the Coast because think about like, if you do a good job, think about the, the social media reaction. Okay, if, if Wizards is seeing people say, oh, you were so great at co-streaming, you're so, if you're trying to gain like uh, a spot in streaming the Mythic Championship, like let's say that you want to be like an announcer or commentator, like you should do this. You should definitely co-stream this because A, it gives you practice, 
be it gets you in the eyes of wizards and others. And I think you should. Now, I that's not my goal right now. I've got so many irons in the fire. Like, you know, I'm like I'm actually at a game store right now, and uh, I consult at this game store, and I'm over here helping this game store, like, uh, you know, be successful. You know, so like, I don't have time to stream. I love streaming. You know, I love talking to people, and it's great. It's fun. But like, it doesn't pay the bills, and you know. Uh, let's be honest like my skill set is really not there i mean like if you look at like jesse right <laughs> jesse's insane man that guy is like a natural at streaming you know there's people who are just very good at it and like I i'm like not in that echelon you know so uh you know when you talk about my skill sets i think my skill sets more loan loan themselves to like business or to this other stuff and so i'm just gonna do what i know you know um and andy or elliot like does this mean that there's still, is there still going to be like a mainstream and, and official? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, for sure, this is a million dollar tournament. Yeah, so there's I, definitely going to be a mainstream. It's just like, I assume, I, so this is the first I've ever heard of it, but I assume it's just like a free roll to let other people like stream it as well and talk over it, which like they do with other things as well, I believe. Like, uh, do they do this with like a GDQ or Games Done Quick, Elliot? Uh, I know that they have like official restreams in different languages. Uh, I don't know if they allow other people to just like watch the stream and, and comment over it. I'm just going to do it in Chinese. <laughs> You're going big car. Uh, you joke but, about that, but that's the thing, man. If you could do it in Spanish or Chinese, like that could draw an audience for reals. John, John, you, you're the Spanish. <laughs> I can't even speak Spanish. <laughs> Jesse thought I was white. He thought I was Caucasian. Uh, go ahead, Elian. Sorry. Uh, I do know that uh, last year during the NFL season, there were a few games that were uh, uh, played on Twitch and they allowed people to watch and, and comment over it. So I, that's like the one place I've been exposed to it a lot uh, When it, in, in terms of it's like an actual big event and they just allow people to go you know, hog wild with with restreaming it so I, I think it's definitely really cool yeah, i read the announcement like twice and i had no idea what it meant and i've been slowly figuring it out it's just cool more cool every detail i figure out about it yeah they do this kind of stuff with like the video game shows right like when they reveal the new video games like e3 and stuff like that oh yeah 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 yeah, sure. yeah and i love watching like my favorite streamers react to that kind of stuff and like and i watch that before I watch like the regular version of it, because it's just free to also watch your favorite streamer at the same time. So like that part's pretty cool, and I think it's uh pretty exciting. I like that kind of stuff. It's it's odd that like all the best streamers are going to be there. Yeah, well, almost, <laughs> almost almost all of them, right. except for the current biggest Magic the Gathering streamer Jeff Hoogland, who will not be in attendance. I wonder if he'll co-stream it. I mean, that well, would be cool. He should. He would. People do would. People would watch. 100%. As long as he, like, puts aside some of the differences and just does what he does well, and that's talk about magic to people. He no doubt has a following, right? I mean, he's doing something right, right? Well, he's, like, he's actually the biggest non, like, SCG or magic streamer. Okay, see? Like, he's doing something right. It's just that sometimes you have to play ball, you know? <laughs> uh Elliot, Elliot and Andy, like you were, you guys were around when, when people were doing this just to say basically an F you to either official WotC or SCG coverage. They're like, oh, we can do a better job. I, I think AJ Soccer 
<laughs> yeah, he did. This is actually how Alex Bertoncini got banned the second time. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was, like, uh, he was streaming over an SCG and then said some really terrible things and then got banned again. I think, yeah, like he was making fun of probably like the player's looks or something. I, look at this guy. Look at this ugly guy. I probably, I don't know. I was watching his stuff. But uh, yeah, before people were just doing it just to say, hey, I'm better than the official coverage. And uh, I, I'm, I am intrigued. I am hopeful that someone uh, allows people, like John said, to, to break through. And, uh, man, maybe people will do it in different languages, like, easily. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt, there'll be, like, people who speak different languages will, and want to be a magic content creator will, will attach to that niche right away. Yeah, wasn't that on the game podcast where they had, uh, is it GAM or game podcast? They had uh, the world champion, and he said that there's not a lot of content in Spanish. Yeah, Javier Dominguez. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about how it's a big deal because, uh, you know, he wanted to, uh, you know, learn from the best and this kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, if you're in different countries and you want to learn magic or you want to be part of the celebration or whatever, and there's no content creator that's representing you, then, you know, that's that's part of a, an issue. And that's part of what, why some content creators will be more successful in those areas than others. Like there was the girl... Um, Mayfer, I guess her name was, that she was part of the uh, original invite, but she is a Mexican YouTuber, you know, and she has a really big following and she creates content in, Me- in, in uh, Spanish, you know, I was just saying Mexican, <laughs> she creates content in Spanish, right? You know, like, uh, so like, that's a, it's a thing, you know, it's, re- it's really, uh, you know, if you speak a different language, I would really think about, you know, and you want to be a content creator. It's about what you want though, right? It's about what you want. But what about people who just speak English, though? Like, what's what's their approach? I mean, Andy talked about how he likes to see established streamers because that that he's already grown to love, and he wants to watch. And now we got most of them at the event itself. It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, you want you want to watch like so when when there's a streamer that you connect with in whatever way you like really like watching their stream, you feel like they're sort of your friend, even though they're they may not be. But like you feel like you understand their views and you want to know what their point of view is. And so when you're watching the content, you still hear the commentary, you still hear everyone talking, but they're just going to chime in with their thoughts as they're watching it too, which is just kind of like watching it with your pals. And then everyone in chats, the people, if you talk in chat, the people you talk in chat with all the time. So it's just like doing it all with your friends. It's kind of cool. There's also like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Andy kind of pointed out that this, this event in particular, a lot of the biggest streamers are there because you you know you have the MPL and then they also invited a lot of hand selected streamers on top of that but if they continue us in the in the future the next big large arena tournaments like at this scale are going to be all people in the MPL and people that qualify through playing magic so a lot of the streamers that are there sort of you know on the merits of their content and their community building are are all of a sudden going to be available to do this co-streaming you know, Caleb Durward's a player who I, you know, obviously he's very good, but he probably won't get to the next Mythic Invitational. But he's a really great streamer for watching him from a community perspective and sort of like you were alluding to where when he streams, it's like hanging out with a friend. So, you know, he's he's someone that, at least in my mind, kind of jumps out to if they do this again in the future, that's someone I'd definitely be looking forward to watching the co-stream of. So I think that's, you know, we might be getting a, a test run of it now, 
And it's maybe a little unfortunate that a lot of these community-based streamers are going to be at the event rather than being able to co-stream it. But that's going to be really cool in the future if they keep going with this. I think also people make the mistake when creating content that they believe they have to say something different uh, to be a content creator, you know? And that's not true. You just have to say what you see in your own voice. And so, like, I feel like if you want to be a writer, if you want to be a streamer, if you want to be any of these, any of these things, you just understand that you have a voice, uh, understand what that voice is and, and utilize it. So I feel like anybody can do this if they, if they want to do it, you know? And you shouldn't worry that, oh, the mainstream is going to be better. There, it isn't a quantitative thing. It's not about what's better or what's worse. It's about what are you bringing to the table? And I, I think also the mainstream is still lacking. There's still information and stuff you can bring. Like if you're talking about, like if you do your research and you bring in stories about these players and, and you, you draw it up like, you know, I used to watch a lot of boxing when I was younger and they would tell the story of the fighters before the fight, you know? So this kind of stuff I think can be part of your stream, which is not going to be part of the mainstream. Or even if you look back in like my past of stuff that I used to do, you know, if, if, if there's a magic finance content person out there who wants to talk about card prices and like, you know, uh, the different impact that these decks are having in the tournament on the market live, like that's valuable. People want to hear that kind of stuff, you know? Um, even if a store wants to stream stuff and then put sales on cards and do gimmicks and stuff, there's lots of different angles and different things you can bring. And I'm not trying to cheapen it by say, oh, do gimmicks. I think the most important thing to understand is that all of these different kind of ideas are going to come from somebody with that voice, right? The the person with the voice is going to bring unique perspective, unique ideas, and their their unique community. As Andy pointed out, you know, there's going to be a tribe, and that tribe's going to get together around the campfire, and they're going to watch the stream together, and they're going to listen to the voice of the of the chief of the tribe or the the shaman or however you want to say it, you know. I love it. I love it. Um, I, can't, I actually can't wait. And I uh, hope someone I know does the stream. I mean, if, if Alex wasn't there, if Hayne wasn't there, I would have done something with him. And, and now I have to settle with considering doing like a Chinese stream. With, uh, gotta find some, some chi- like wanted Chinese co hosts. Sponsored by <laughs> Kim Fat, dude. What? Sponsored <laughs> by Kim Fat. Like <laughs> Kim Fat, local Chinese grocery store supermarket um like you don't you don't have to it's not like you're doing commentary car you're just watching it and like just hanging out is like mostly what you'd be doing it's not like you like dress up in a suit you have a booth and a desk it's just you're just it would help that, would it though yeah i think so i think the presentation would I, I don't think that's what co-stream is all about to me what if the a-team co-streamed it jay Who's bush would be team? Jay Bush should be Jay Bush should be off the hook. A team in its prime could stream it, but uh, not now, not now. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's go on to, to our final topic, Patreon, John, because uh, last week the the big announcement of War of the Spark came after the last episode, so we didn't get, get to talk about it. Which is the the announcement that every booster pack is going to contain at least one planeswalker, and there'll be thirty six. Wow included in the set, and then there's all these pictures that Watsi showed, pictures and uh, made people speculate on which Planeswalker would be included in the set, and I, I didn't even know 
I didn't even realize the, uh, of course, that's why you're here, the financial implications. But uh, until, like, um, someone someone at work told me, like, hey, these uh, that Planeswalker car, you know, it's it's being sold out in a lot of places, or a lot of places have jacked um, the prices for, for that car. I forget what it's called. You would know more than me, probably, John. Is it the Immortal Sun? No, I think it's the... The Chain Veil? I think it's in the same set, but uh, it's something to deal with. Maybe the chain bell, yeah, something that just it's sorcerer's you can use, spyglass. You can use planeswalkers twice a turn. Yeah, that might be it. Like any anything dealing with with planeswalkers have have quadrupled or, or like increased significantly in price. So yeah, the, the mocks, the mocks and standard also jumped up a bunch. Forget the name of it. Mox amber. Mox amber. Thank you. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of financial implications because of all the planeswalkers. I think uh, I think you know Elliot's on top of all the all the hot cards that rose. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a natural uh, knee jerk reaction to something, right? It's like because there's going to be 36 planeswalkers, all of a sudden it's like, okay, what is good with planeswalkers? What is good against planeswalkers? Let's buy everything, right? Just buy it all. And, you know, you're not wrong because, like, you know, there's a hive mind out there and everyone's buying it all. You know, just like when they said with Modern Horizons, hey, we're not going to reprint any currently modern cards. Well, that's free money. Like, just give me all the fetch lands, you know? Uh, And then all of a sudden they they all start going up, you know, because people are freaking out. They're like, well, we're not going to reprint Scalding Tarn for another year. I need Scalding Tarns, man. They're over $100. What am I going to do? I got to buy them now. FOMO, FOMO, you know, and it's not, it's not only irrational, you know, knee jerk reaction with the modern horizon things. There are retailers buying fetch lands. I, I, I'll, I'll do, I'll, I'll take a page from Rudy's book, you know, places like moon city games, you know, are over here buying out fetch lands at like higher than TCG prices. What does that mean? That means that those fetch lands are not going to be that price for very long, you know? And so, so back to the topic at hand, War of the Spark, um, this is going to be really s- super interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, Planeswalkers have not, have not been not mythic, okay? They've always been mythic. And I don't think there's 36 mythics in the set, right? So what that suggests is that the Planeswalkers are going to be spread across different um, rarities. Now, does that mean we'll get an uncommon planeswalker? Does it mean we'll get a common planeswalker? I don't know. Maybe. But what it does mean is we're going to get rare planeswalkers. And what we saw with like inventions and invocations, they did the expeditions, then they did inventions, and then they did invocations, right? And by that point, nobody wanted them, okay? Because it's just too overdone. It's like too much fancy cards, you know? And I think that's kind of where we're going with the, uh, with the Planeswalker thing, right? It's like, first they were rare, you know, and then they were like, there were some in every set, and, but they're only mythic. But now it's just going to be like, boom, you know, all the Planeswalkers everywhere. And I feel like there's going to be like a, a backlash to that. You know, it's going to be like, oh, Planeswalkers are not that special. They're everywhere. And we're going to see the, you know, values depressed because of those things. And then... And then over time, this set is going to increase like infinitely because in this box, every pack is going to have a planeswalker in it. And over time, as that novelty 
wears off again and the knee-jerk reaction wears off and everybody comes to their senses and whatnot, uh, the casuals are going to be like, dude, I want to open up some of those packs with those planeswalkers in it. And, you know, those packs are going to be worth quite a bit of money. And now I know that they're going to print it to demand or whatever. That means that they're not going to stop printing it. But, you know, give it some time. And, and at some point, it's going to overrun its usefulness and then going to go out of print. And then, you know, that's going to happen. Uh, as for all these cards that spiked, a lot of them are good in EDH anyways. So, you know, like, sure. I mean, that j this set just kind of hurried up their trajectory. But like the Chain Veil, that was already spiking. You know, that was already on the way up. And so was, you know, the Immortal Sun. Because that does like a hundred things and it's awesome in EDH. Well, it's awesome <laughs> in EDH for, I mean, you know, let's put it this way. Like, I don't know how to say this without being rude. Uh, I'm not going to say it, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this, like, I'll say this, that there's, there's people who play EDH for a lot of fun and they, they, they put crazy things in their decks and that's the format where you can be crazy. And so that's why some of these cards, even though they're not optimal, like I would never put an immortal sun in my EDH deck. Cause like by the time I'm casting that thing, I'm just trying to kill everyone at the table. You know, I'm not trying to put a big artifact in play. That's not what EDH is about. So, like, a lot of people will put that in their in their deck, and those things will go up anyways. You know, Atraxa is already like, you know, Atraxa is a deck. So, anything to do with Planeswalkers, th there's the Atraxa deck, and that's going to drive prices forever. You know, and so I don't know. I'll let you guys talk about that. You you tell uh, me if you, if you have questions about that. No, no. We we just need your 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 main financial advice and uh, and and. I guess prediction or what, whatever, but but as a player, um, are you excited uh, for the set? I'm not super excited for the set. I wonder, okay. like I, so like when the set came out, um, when the last set came out on on Arena, I had a blast because you know standard is insane, right? Well, it was insane at that point. I don't know what it is like right now, but at that point, all the brewing, all the playing the different decks, and just so many options, it was great. Okay. Um, now that we have all these planeswalkers, there's a couple of things. One, they're going to be hard to evaluate. Players are typically not good at evaluating planeswalkers. And it's not because, you know, you all are idiots or we're all idiots. It's just because, like, there's a, there's a lot of, like, uh, thinking that has to, you have to think in a certain way to actually see it in the context and say, well, that could be good here and that's what the context we're going to be in or whatever. And so it'll be interesting to watch the, the, the mis-evaluations and the opportunities there. So when you say, what's your financial advice? If you're looking to like try to buy cards, look for the, the opportunities that, that people might not be seeing because of the mis-evaluations. Try to find an analog. Always look for a card that does a similar thing and ask yourself, was it good in a context or was it not? And if you can find that analog and people are not picking up on that, that's a good way to buy, okay? So that's the answer to that question in, in, a, in a nutshell. But when you say, are you excited? I wonder what this will do to standard. So many planeswalkers. If none of them are good, then the set is kind of not good, right? Because there's 36 of them. So, like, <laughs> yeah. you know. And then if, if a lot of them are good, then it's just going to be like planeswalker magic, right? Because it's just going to be like infinite planeswalkers. Like, even in standard, it got a little bit like, I'm going to play my Vivian Reed, and then I'm going to play my Vivian Reed, and then I'm going to play my Karn, or I'm going to play my Tefri. You know, just like planeswalker battles is already a little bit can be a little bit uh, annoying. And so now you imagine you have like, maybe let's just say 10 of them are good. Wow. Like, what are, what are we going to do? Like, it's going to change the game a bit. And 
I don't know. I don't know if I like that. Now, maybe I'll love it, but I'm not excited about it. And also, I don't run a lot of Planeswalkers in my commander deck, so I'm not excited about that. Now, sure, is it going to be, is it going to make a bunch of money? Yeah. Yeah, man. <laughs> no doubt. Like, we're probably going to sell out of all this stuff. And we're probably going to pre-sale all these Planeswalkers at way higher than what they should be sell- sold for, right? Because, like, out of 36, everyone's going to want certain ones, right? And everyone's going to pay the, the premium on them. And then only like so many of them are going to be good. Like the, the statistically, the math is just good for anybody who pre-sells this product because of the Planeswalkers. Right, right. Um, man, uh, I, before, before I get uh, Andy and Elliot's take here, uh, bef- when, when game days and, and, and special tournaments were first introduced by, by Watsi, I, I don't know about you guys, but I was excited to play in them because they were fresh or new. Like to be the game, I remember like, like Jay on the A team would be like, would be proud of being the game day champion, and uh, <laughs> that was a thing. And then they changed it to store championship. Uh, at, here at Face to Face Games Montreal, I think no one really cares about these events. Uh, probably not in Quebec. I, I wonder how in Montreal overall. And um, then there's all these like draft weekends, etc. I really wonder what the appeal is. Uh, but this time for for this one, I think it might be. Like for four of the spark, this might be the more most intriguing one. Like these one-off events that they're introducing, Planeswalker Weekend that will be supported according to them by the largest event kit of all time. And then for the Planeswalker Weekend Draft or Seal event, Planeswalker cards will be castable using mana of any color. This means that players will players will be able to play every Planeswalker they open regardless of the colors of their deck. Okay. So I think this might appeal to to even me to to play this like funky crazy event so um a- andy how excited are you about uh war of the spark as a whole when you when you heard about this news are you are you indifferent to it like uh about the all the planeswalkers yeah. i'm pretty uh i'm pretty excited like i like to play with good planeswalkers but at the same time planeswalkers are really hard to answer and uh, that's sort of frightening from a gameplay perspective because what happens with planeswalkers is it leads to more snowballing. And when someone has an advantage, it's harder to catch back up. And that's sort of some of the best magic you can play is when you find a way to catch back up. So I'm a little afraid of that. But like my assumption is that Watsi's pretty good at their job and that a lot of these planeswalkers will suck, but they'll be good and limited or interesting and limited. And that's all they really need to be like. I like the current batch of Planeswalkers. They made like Kaya and Domri. They seem like pretty good power level. So Domri is not great, but he's like pretty good sometimes. And Kaya is like, <coughs> when it's good, it's insane, but it's like bad most of the time. <laughs> and like, that's the kind of Planeswalker I like to see. So hopefully they follow that kind of design with them. I think, I feel like what we're going to see is we're going to see some like, some bad Planeswalkers like for Constructed. But I think they, they're going to do something interesting in Limited. I would think of them more akin to, like, think of some of the enchantments that we've had that have, like, an effect every turn. That's the kind of thing. Like, maybe they just have one ability. Maybe I, like, probably no ultimate unless they're, like, the, the great ones. So like, that's the kind of thing that I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to unique designs on Planeswalkers and hope it's implemented well so that it doesn't ruin Standard. Are you, though? Because, uh... You hated enchantments. You hated good, decent enchantments and limited in Ravnica Allegiance, and I could see you hating yeah, but the draft they'll be, format. They'll be like one mana destroy all planeswalkers. I don't know. <laughs> they'll do they'll figure it out. They'll they'll make some good answers. I feel like they don't want every game to be miserable. 
And, uh, it, yeah. I thought it was this set. Don't, don't get me started on those enchantments. Ill-gotten Inheritance was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, that was unbeatable. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> Elliot, Elliot, are you excited about the set? Uh, yeah, I'm a little bit worried for Limited. You know, we complained for Ravnica Allegiance, like you mentioned, only having one disenchant. I don't know how many heroes downfalls they can print in this set to kill all the Planeswalkers. Um, in terms of Constructed, I I don't know how much it's actually going to alter things because really at any given time, you can only play so many Planeswalkers in a deck. Um, I, you know, we've recently had a lot of Planeswalkers that sort of fit like the Obnixilis templating, where their plus one is some sort of card advantage, their minus is destroy a creature, maybe with some rider, and then they have an ultimate that more or less wins the game. You know, Vivian is almost exactly Obnixilis with that sort of formatting. Uh, Teferi is sort of similar. They all just have like a minus that protects themselves and a plus that generates card advantage. I don't want to do too much speculating in terms of what the planeswalkers will see in the set arcs you know there's 36 of them obviously they're going to be a lot different but i think a lot of them are going to not be able to protect themselves i think we're going to see a lot of planeswalkers that won't create creature tokens to block and won't have a removal spell tied to them and i think that that's what's going to help create a a healthy limited environment you know andy sort of mentioned planeswalkers with just a plus or just a minus no ultimate glorified enchantments and i I would expect that that's what we'll see a lot of. I'm, I'm skeptical that it's going to warp standard where you'll see like a, a big super friends deck because we've had some really powerful planeswalkers in standard at the same time and, and when it comes down to it, you can only play so many slots. You know, Vraska Relic Seeker is an incredibly powerful planeswalker, but can you play seven planeswalkers or eight planeswalkers in your Golgari deck? Because you, you're not going to not play Vivian. So, like, where do you draw the line? And I think that a lot of these Planeswalkers, especially if they end up being uncommon or common, where they'll be a little powered down, you know, they're just not going to be making the cut and constructed. So there could be, like, a cycle that's, like, like a three-mana blue Planeswalker starts at two or three loyalty. It's, like, minus one draw card. Then you get to draw a card once a turn for three turns. They could attack it so you draw less. Or like a three-mana one that's like minus one, make a soldier. No other abilities. <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll get like, like that. Maybe we'll get like Jace Beller in again, except he doesn't have a plus. And, you know, maybe the set will have other ways to interact with Planeswalkers. Like, you, can, you know, we saw Settle the Score in Dominaria, I think, where you put two loyalty counters on a Planeswalker. Maybe we'll have something like that, where it's you know, additional riders on spells to get more value out of your planeswalkers that are otherwise just Jace Bellerins without a plus. Yeah, they to, just add to, to that proliferate ruin standard. Well, not <laughs> proliferate necessarily, but you know, like a, specifically the card settle the score, right? You print like a Jace Bellerin that comes down on three, minuses to draw a card. And let's say it has two loyalty. But if you curve that into your settle the score and bump it back up to three loyalty, now you've got, now you're cooking with fire. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, and that's, that's, a, that's a card that, interesting. that can't run like away it. with the game. You're not going to win the game off of drawing two cards from your Planeswalker. And, you know, it's not, it's not Jace the Mind Sculptor or anything like that. So I think that is, is probably the space they were headed. Um, but again, 36 Planeswalkers, that's got to be a lot of different... You know, they can't all be the same. They're going to have to be 
somewhat equally balanced against all the colors, so they're not all going to be able to just draw a card. And I think it's going to be really cool. Um, they're, they're all like like epic pieces of the story, and it's like so all I can think is like they just have like this epic character from the story. It'll be like uh, Ugin, and it, all it does is like minus one to to gain two life. <laughs> <laughs> minus one game two more <laughs> What's yeah, you, read, you read the story and the, the one that finally kills nickel bolus after all of this he's been devastating all these planes and he uh sticks around for two turns and leaves two tokens <laughs> <laughs> it would be funny if they did a planeswalker that just plussed but nothing to minus it so it'll just have all these loyalty counters but it just keeps going and going and going there's a, a gideon great. like that isn't there I guess it has, it has like a minus like 20, doesn't it? The four mana uh, Gideon? I don't remember. Champion of Justice, yeah, it I does. think. It has a huge minus. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Man, all these examples would make like me think the deck, the set sucks if they were all like this. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, like, so there has to be a balance, and I pray that Wizards of the Coast can figure this out because you can't make like Jace the. The, like Jace the was like out too late last night, and like he just doesn't do a good job. <laughs> I think the play design team has been doing awesome. So, uh, you know, they make cards like you know, um, Assassin's Trophy, where everyone looks at it and it's like, <gasps> that's gonna be a four of. It's so insane, and then like it just gets like hardly played because like everything else is so well balanced and so good. So I think play design has been kicking butt, and I, I think they will hopefully do the same here and you know if they don't then it'll just be crazy it'll be funny in a way see what i want to know is how they arrived at 36 do you think that that was from the get-go they thought let's you know we're gonna do a set with 36 planeswalkers or do you think in the design they were like well we need an ugin and then what if we brought back tibble then they get to like 12 and they're like screw it we'll go all the way triple it (laughs) (laughs) those are rookie numbers it yeah. could have to do with the, the, the sheets that they're printing on and the, uh, the, the cutting and distribution. Since there'll be one in every pack, uh, it could be that, like, you know, I don't know, that, that 36 made sense for the cutting and the distribution of the packs. You don't think Morrow just, like, got tired of people asking where Planeswalker was in the lore on his blog and he just finally snapped and He's said, just we'll like, give them all, them all. <laughs> They're all right here. People are still going to complain that some are missing. <laughs> I'm complaining. Where's Elspeth? We need Elspeth back. Just give me Elspeth Sun's Champion as an evergreen card in standard. Let me just always <laughs> cast that card. I'll never complain about the format. I just want Mowu. Is that his name? The little pup? <laughs> <laughs> such Champion, a good boy. Sun's Champion is very loyal. Personal favorite of mine, also. It's a great card in EDH. You guys should play EDH more often. <laughs> That's a staple top 100 card in EDH. Look, you were you were trash talking the Immortal Sun earlier, so you're not going to sell me on Elspeth. I was not trash talking. The Immortal Sun's great in EDH decks, you know. Sure, I'm not trash talking it. Let's be clear. I'm just saying, you know, it's not. I don't feel it's optimal in most decks, but people like doing splashy things, you know. It's pretty optimal. Pretty optimal when you're selling people an Elspeth Sun's champion. You get 10 people in a room selling Elspeth Sun's Champion while you have your Immortal Sun Elder Dragon Highlander deck. Well, yeah, I think it's optimal also selling, you know, the Immortal Suns. That's very optimal. I like to sell those. I like to buy them more, but I like to sell them as well. So, 
Yeah, fi- finance, money. Go ahead, type it in the chat. Whoever's typing that in the chat. ROI. ROI. Finance, <laughs> money. <laughs> We're going to have to show up. Uh, John, is there, is there anything uh, you, you want to plug um, or, or shout out? Oh, man. I'll give you the floor. I don't. Um, oh, just if you're not following me on Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, Medina underscore MTG. So that's M-E-D-I-N-A underscore MTG. And anything I want to plug, I just plug it on Twitter. So uh, I also give stuff away. I think I'm going to give a box of War of the Spark away uh, mm. when that releases. So I like giving things away because it makes people happy. And uh, it's fun, you know, because people don't always get stuff, you know. And then when you're like, yeah, man, have a box of War of the Spark. They're like, dude, this is awesome. And I'm like, yeah, it is awesome, right? Thumbs up. All right, so that's it, and I appreciate you letting me on and letting me, you know, talk. If, if, so. you, have, if you have to name someone that you would, you would like to do the co-streaming, who would it be besides, besides Jesse? Okay, I was going to say I was going to say Jesse, no doubt, because um, I think he really is talented, uh, and I would I'd love to see him co-stream. Um, but uh, I'd also like to see um, there's a content creator named Jake Boss. He does MTG Tonight. It's like a pretty well-produced, uh, you know, YouTube channel. So MTG Tonight, check it out. He, like, interviews people about um, EDH decks and stuff like that. But, you know, his content is really solid. I think he's he works really hard to produce it well. And uh, he's, like, sings on the guitar and stuff. He's very talented. And uh, he's a kind of a newer content creator. And I'd love to see him do it. I think he's got skills. And uh, I feel like he's still kind of, like, discovering himself. And I think that would be cool to see him in that capacity. I just imagined Mike Flores co-streaming. <laughs> that would be so funny. Mike I love Flores. Mike. I love Mike. I, I don't know if I'd watch a co-stream uh, from Mike Flores. I love him. I think he's great. But um, I, I feel like I, I feel like there's a you know, I think he'd talk a lot about himself more than he'd talk about probably the, the cast, right? Uh, no shade no shade you know everyone's got their to be on brand but like you know i think that's what would probably happen for forest and champion forest bdm that would be a that would be an all-star co-stream oh man um, bdm i mean obviously right i mean BDM. Hey, so that i could co-stream what like... <laughs> he's like i got you wizards i'll do this <laughs> Pro tour, I mean, mythic champion, historian. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's go. Um, Elliot, uh, what's on the horizon for you? Anything still on your... Uh... Uh, I'm maybe going to Niagara Falls next month. I'm just trying to take it easy. I, I love magic, but I'm, I'm magicked out right now. So I'll, I'll maybe play some arena next week. That's, that's some my horizons. Ne- needs a war of the spark. Uh, what about you, Andy? <laughs> Got that top one thousand grind. Get, oh yeah, get on that. Oh yeah. Don't you want the like one of the highest money like PTQs that you can just play at home? Yeah, but it's every two months. Grind is. I can do that next next month. I'm bronze right now, so. Oh, you have two months. We have until the end of April. Yeah, it's because it's like every season, right? I'm. That's what I. That's what I think. I'm I'm really all in on being able to grind next month and not this one. So, <laughs> if someone's in the chat or tweets at me, please let me know if I don't have next month. <laughs> Preferably before the weekend. Do you know Andy? Uh, I I thought it was the end of the month. So, 
So yeah, I, we'll see I thought it was it was like this month you you cut the top one thousand, and then next month you cut the top one thousand, and then whatever like that's how many people get in, you know, up up to four thousand or whatever it is. But obviously there'll be oh. that's what I thought it was. So please tweet at me if I'm wrong, so that I can play this weekend and get to Mythic. How could they tweet at you? What is your Twitter handle? Elliot underscore Fortier. See, Carl, this is all you do. I'm a natural at this. I could do this. <laughs> I think that was pretty good. That was pretty good. All right. Um, yeah, support the show at patreon.com slash first strike. And uh, if you want to see any of these guys, gentlemen, or anyone that you know uh, who you would like to see coach you, I, w- I would like to know. Like, tweet That's at me. First strike coach, coach stream. Yeah, well, I think like. I have to do a Chinese. I need to find someone and get sponsored by Kim Fat or something. How hard could it be? I could, well, how many days do I got? <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking here? Man, I don't know the Chinese languages, so I'm not going to butcher. Is it is Cantonese one of them? <laughs> yeah. 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 Cantonese. I, I would want to do a whole network. We've got John that like the Spanish doesn't speak Spanish. channel. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever seen Inglorious Bastards? It's like Brad Pitt's character, like Bongiorno. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. And uh, we will see you next week. Talk to you later, guys. Later. Bye, guys. Bye.